We have two readings. Romans 5, verses 1 to 11. And 2 Timothy 1, verses 5 to 12. I don't know what pages they are. Kenneth, to you. 1132, if you've got a Bible, though they're all piled up over there. (laughs) Peace and hope. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 5 to 12. Paul is writing to Timothy and says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which was first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. 
This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearance of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And that is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. This is the word of the Lord. Almighty and everlasting God, you have given us, your servants, grace by the confession of a true faith to acknowledge the glory of the eternal Trinity and in the power of the divine majesty to worship the unity. Keep us steadfast in this faith that we may evermore be defended from all adversities through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Father, we ask you by your Holy Spirit to take your word and apply it to our minds and our hearts. Lord, as we see where the Spirit of the Lord is, shame is no more. Will you visit us, touch us, work in us, transform us, make us a people for your own possession? Amen. Please be seated. Now, is it just me, or sometimes when you wake up in the small hours of the night... Do you find yourself remembering those times when you have most embarrassed yourself? (laughs) That silly thing which you blush to recall? That crass response you made which you wish you hadn't? Or that time when it was only subsequently that you discovered that you were improperly dressed? Well, it's happened to all of us at one time or another, and we lie there squirming with embarrassment and blushing a little under our bedclothes, and then hopefully we drop off back to sleep. But what about those other incidents which we've tried to drown beneath memory altogether, if we possibly can? The things about which we feel real shame. The times we did something truly disgraceful or dishonest or lustful, or unkind. And we hope that nobody else remembers it, because we try our best not to remember it ourselves. We try to pretend to ourselves that it was really someone else, <laughs> not, really, not really me at all. And you're an unusual person if there are not some such incidents buried somewhere deep in your past. That sort of memory digs its way inward like some enormous emotional veruca. This is the curse of shame. And once it's got in, it is so hard to eradicate. (coughs) And the effect of unresolved shame in a life is that it makes one weak, in that area at least, and often in other areas as well. Indeed, the word the New Testament uses for it is 
Iscune. And that is a compound, bear with me for a minute because this will come back in. It's a compound of the root is, meaning force, preceded by a, which is the negative. In other words, it's negative energy. It's sapping and draining you. Now, conscience is that little voice within us that, when properly attuned to God, teaches us to repent and to try to put things right. It's empowering because we see what it is. We say, oh, Lord, I'm really sorry. I blew that. Thank you that you've all paid for it all. And I'm forgiven. And conscience causes us to... It's empowered. But condemnation is that crippling sense of guilt and inadequacy which teaches us either despair or hard-hearted rebellion. In Revelation 12, verse 10, Satan is described as the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night. His strategy is to cause us to leave swamps of undealt with sin lurking in our lives somewhere because we just don't want to go there and so we try to pretend they're not there at all. The difference between guilt and shame is that guilt is external. It's your legal status. You are found guilty in law of having committed this crime. But shame is internal. It's that gnawing away inside because one knows that there is corruption there. And neither ought to sit within the life of a Christian for any longer than it takes to identify them and rebuke them out of our lives by the power of Christ. Now, Simply because shame is so insidious and so destructive, secular society today spends a lot of its time trying to allay any sense of shame in people. Psychotherapy tells them, yes, you need to recognise your fault, you need to bring it out into the open, but then it tells them that they can and should just move on. Whereas, if anything, people today have too little sense of shame because we need to recognise the horror of the darkness if we are to fully respond to the light. In another thing, my quiet time, apart from, we've got a very odd idea of my quiet time, um, uh, from, apart from reading the collects, um, is that every day I try to read uh, a prayer from Valley of Vision, a collection of Puritan prayers. And the other day I was brought up short by this. Sin is that abominable thing which thy soul hates. Let me never forget that I have an eternal duty to love, honour and obey thee, that thou art infinitely worthy of such, that if I fail to glorify thee, I am guilty of infinite evil that merits infinite punishment, for sin is the violation of an infinite obligation. Well, that's telling it like it is, isn't it? That my little sin, well, not that bad, you know, really, Lord, you know, is actually the violation of an infinite obligation. <coughs> it is an infinite evil, therefore. We need to start from the recognition that every human being who has ever lived bar one, Jesus, has, in doing what he or she wants, more than what God wants, been guilty of the sin of rebellion against the King of Kings. And 1 Samuel 15.23 tells us rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. All sin is desperately serious and we know that God's eyes are too pure to look on evil. He cannot tolerate wrong. Habakkuk 
Now, shame is the sense of exclusion from the presence of God. He is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. There is iniquity in my life, and therefore I am excluded from God. And shame is that feeling of hell, a biting, gnawing experience of inner agony and corrosion. No wonder Jesus repeatedly described it as a place of darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And what can we do about it? Well, nothing by ourselves. Thomas Hobbes, in his Leviathan, not a philosopher who isn't often quoted in sermons, 1651, described the human condition as solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. Well, yes, if we are estranged from the Lord of life, the Lord of love, the Lord of grace, the Lord of truth, that's about right. Well might St. Paul cry out, Romans 7, Wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Well, having made you all thoroughly miserable, the next verse in Romans 7 is, Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's sorted. And our reading from Romans 5 told us, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We now stand in grace. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Jesus died for our guilt and condemnation. He went down to the depths of hell in our shame. He took it all into himself. And on the third day he rose again. He burst back into life. He began the new creation free from guilt and shame. And that is the state into which he has brought each one of us who have accepted him as our Lord and our Saviour. So that no matter what our past, no matter what horrid things there may be buried there, no matter what our circumstances in the present, even when we suffer, we know that God is working everything for good because our suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, Character produces hope. The greater the problems, the more the divine hope in place of the satanic shame. And now look what happens. It doesn't make it entirely clear in the New International Version, but verse 5 of that Romans 5 reading is more than hope does not disappoint us, because the word used is our old friend cat, Iskudai, which I drew your attention to earlier. Literally, Hope does not shame us. Hope does not make us ashamed because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, shame is no more. Hope has taken its place. The confident certainty that Jesus has dealt with all our sin, all our guilt, for all eternity. And the Holy Spirit reassures us that in our lives hell has been defeated and there is no longer any place for shame. How does that affect us? Well, it means not only that we need not live crippled by any sense of guilt or inadequacy, but that we must not live with our lives crippled by any sense of guilt or inadequacy. It would be an insult to our Saviour to allow ourselves to continue in fear. It isn't godly humility to say, I'm ashamed, or oh, I'm a bad person, 
I can't ever forgive myself. Oh, I hate myself. I'm inferior. All those things might have been true of the old you, but Colossians 3 verse 3, you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 2 Corinthians 5, you are a new creation. The old's gone. The new has come. So Paul writes to Timothy, who by nature was inclined to be a rather diffident, unconfident sort of soul. Timothy, God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. The spirit of the Lord is one of holy boldness, because we know we've been set free from all that would try to drag us down to the pit, into the swamp. There are no foul swamps of undealt with sin in our lives where shame can breed, because Jesus has left nothing undealt with. So, says Paul to Timothy, when I laid hands on you for you to receive the Holy Spirit, God gave you the gift of confidence. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. There's no longer any room for shame in your life. Don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Some people would be embarrassed about their past. Some people would be embarrassed about their association with a notorious jailbird like me, Paul. I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. When it comes to the crunch, though I try to do my best, in the end it's all down to him. He saved me by his death and resurrection, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. He guides me and keeps me by his Holy Spirit. He will gather me safely into heaven when the time comes. And nothing can ever make me ashamed, not my dreadful wicked past, not my failures in the present, not the prospect of judgment in the future. Well, that's what Paul says to Timothy. It's what he says to you and me as well. Christian, this is your birthright. Don't accept anything less, because that is Satan trying to hoodwink you and keep you in the swamp. And if you have, in any area of your life, been carrying any sense of shame for whatever reason, you need to recognise where it comes from, that's Satan. You need to repent of allowing, allowing it any room to fester anywhere in your life. You need to receive God's forgiveness, one for you on the cross. You need to rebuke it out of your life, send it back down to the pit of hell where it belongs, and replace it with the confidence of Christ's victory, and the spirit of love, of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And finally, resolve that whenever it tries to rear its ugly head again, you will send it packing in the same way, not pushing it back down under the surface and hoping you haven't noticed, but sending it back to hell. That's where it belongs. I have been set free. I am a new creation. Now, if there is anything in you that is recognising that, thing, actually, yeah, there's that area, there's that area... As I pray, just bring it to the Lord and say, thank you, Lord, and let me set it free. So I'm going to go through that sequence of prayer now. If that applies to you, just mentally join in. Father, thank you that we are not ignorant of the enemy's devices. And we see how he seeks to keep us locked into the swamp of despair and shame and guilt. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to set us free. And so, Father, we recognise in our own lives, 
those areas of shame, disgrace. And Lord, we repent of allowing them to lodge in our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that when you died on the cross, you died to deal with it all. There is nothing that isn't covered by your blood. So, Lord, we receive your forgiveness totally, absolutely, in every area. Thank you, Lord. And in the name and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, we say to every spirit of shame, get out of our lives. You've got no rights in us anymore. We send you back to the pit of hell where you belong. You may not come back to trouble us. And Lord, we choose instead your sweet spirit of confidence and purity in Jesus. Lord, come and fill whatever gap was left by the departing spirit of shame. More of you, Lord. Just heal, bind up, fill with yourself. And Lord, we resolve that any time Satan tries to come back with any area of shame, we will allow you by your spirit to deal with it and drive it back because we walk in newness of life by your grace. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen.